everyone. Um, <clears throat> sorry for the short notice. I didn't know if I was going to do a podcast, and then I thought I would do one, and then I was like, oh, well, you know, okay. So, anyways, <clears throat> my cough is still here. I did take some medicine for it, and we'll see how it goes. If it gets too bad, um, well, you'll just have to deal with it. Anyways, um, tonight we're going to talk about um, original characters, and I have Rothesis. I don't know how to say your name, sweetheart. Um, has a question that I pulled from the Ask Me Anything page, and um, we're going to go um, through her long-ass question um, and uh, see how it goes. And uh, basically... Um, I do have a habit of reusing my original characters uh, and um, across uh, different fics within a fandom um, because I uh, I don't like wasting work. And if I've already got a character in my head that will fit a certain um, plot point, there's no point in making a new one, um, which is why you'll often see Thaddeus Banner show up repeatedly in my Harry Potter fic um, because he's handy and I've already made him and I know who he is and I know what he does and um, um, I know how he'll react and how he'll speak in various situations so I don't have to essentially in fandom original characters become part of my headcanon um, so you'll see uh, Chase Harris uh, pop up repeatedly in Stargate. Uh, Matthew Shepard, of course, is an original character. And these are characters that have become part of my headcanon. So in that respect, they are often no different than original canon characters for me because I, um, I'm i so comfortable with them and I created them to fit in that fandom in a certain way. And so they become part of my headcanon and, and using them as second nature. And Often, just like fandom characters, all they take is a little bit of tweaking to move them around to different universes. Um, like, for instance, you know, she, she mentioned Thaddeus in particular in her question, um, uh, and so we'll focus on him as um, as for the first part. And um, <coughs> she said, for example, Thaddeus Banner, Banner and Phoenix interact very differently with Harry than the Thaddeus and the soulmate bond. Well, <coughs> there are there are a couple of reasons for that. One, um, the Harry and Phoenix is two years younger. Um, two, Harry and Phoenix, um, when Thaddeus meets him, um, barely has any kind of adult male influence that he can count on. Because um, Sirius has been um, in prison and then he was wanted and unavailable to Harry. And so in a lot of ways, um, Thaddeus uh, has a very paternal role in Phoenix. Uh, he He's very protective of Harry. He's his, his, um, he's his senior vassal, and that is... Um, In a lot of ways, because Harry has claimed his title in Phoenix, um, and, and Sirius had no hand in raising him, Thaddeus, um, his role is very paternal. 
Um, and he has actually more power in his relationship with Harry than Sirius does because Sirius, um, because Harry's claimed his title, his his guardianship over Harry is kind of in limbo. Uh, it's more of a Harry is allowing them to um, maneuver around him and interact in ways in, in, in instructional ways that uh, he doesn't have to, but he does because he's a very needy kid who, um, up until the point that the Phoenix Crystal arrives, has had um, the existence that you know from canon. That's Harry's life up until that point. <coughs> and so Thaddeus and Sirius and Zale are all dealing and Bill are all dealing with um a Harry Potter who is who has no trust um, who has no trust in adults, um, who puts a great deal of faith and stock into the bracelet and Phoenix, um, who recklessly and with no regard for his own safety will always put Hermione before anybody else. And this is this is a boy with a man's duties and and issues and problems, and he doesn't, and he's kind of flailing about a little bit. He doesn't really know what he's doing, and he wants to trust his vassals, and he wants to trust Sirius, but there's a part of him that doesn't. And so Thaddeus is dealing with that in Phoenix, but the Thaddeus in the soulmate bond is different because Harry is his peer, his lord too, because he's also a vassal in the Harry Potter and the soulmate bond, and Thaddeus um, taught Harry, as a young man, he was part of his tutoring. <clears throat> so the relationship went from teacher and student to peer. Um, and Thaddeus in the soulmate bond has never had a paternal relationship with Harry. Um, mentor, sort of. Teacher, yes. Vassal, yes. Um, father figure, no. Um, and the Harry in soulmate bond when he took his vassals as vassals, he understood the duty of that. He understood um, the impact on his family, on his magic, um, on uh, on his very life, on, on on how having these these men in his life would impact him. The Harry and Phoenix has no idea. He has he has really no clue what he agreed to. Um. But he's very eager for support and for adults around him that he can trust because he wants to trust. So the Thaddeus in the soulmate bond isn't dealing with those kinds of issues that the Thaddeus in Phoenix is. But in really in retrospect, the Thaddeus in Phoenix and the Thaddeus banner in the soulmate bond aren't all that different. They're married to the same woman. That They're both parcel mouse. Um, they both have worked for... Um, the bank for the horde for for the goblins, uh, <clears throat> and uh, what I know about Thaddeus is that he fell in love um, at Hogwarts, um, and he's only ever been about Piper, um, Piper Thorn, or Piper Baron Knee Thorn. Um, she's the only woman he's ever loved. Uh, and in those two 
particular storylines, she's the only woman he's ever known. He loves Hogwarts and he married her. There have been no other women in his life. And so in that respect, you can Thaddeus is very um, uh, static in my mind of how he works and his honor and his and his love for his wife um, and his love for his child uh, that that's just he's he's very static in my mind. So using him across different stories is really easy because, like I said, he's part of my headcanon, and I I know his history. I, I know how he moves in a scene. I know what he'll say in any given circumstance, um, and that makes a big difference. And when it comes time to insert a character that I need for a plot point that a fandom character will not serve um, – I, I have a choice of using a character I've already created that I know intimately, creating a new one. And there's no they're right. They're, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. Um, and I also have and because I do have <coughs> several OCs in my Harry Potter work, um, I can move them around and do different things with them. Like I know um, Zale just as intimately, and I know what I can do with him. And there's Quentin Deadmarsh, who um, features a lot more prominently in Darkly Lowell than he does the soulmate bond, but he's in both. And he's a necromancer in both. And um, he's kind of dark. I mean, he's basically dark as fuck, but he's not a killer um, in, in either verse. Um, and, um, he, you know, so and he embraces who he is. And so going into these different scenarios when I'm plotting things, I, I have a host of OCs that I can use that I'm very comfortable with. <coughs> and I think once you've created a character that you're intimately comfortable with, using them um, in different various fandom situations is, is, is second nature. So when I needed a commandant for the Marine Corps, um, in Hold My Coffee, the only choice was Rampart. I mean, there was no other choice. When I realized I was going to bring the Commandant in, Randolph Rampart was there. There was no, there was never going to be any other choice when it when it came to what character was going to come to the mountain and speak to John before he left for Pegasus. It was always going to be Rampart um, because I know him and. Um, uh, and it was just it's it's a no brainer. Um, you have a character like <coughs> Rampart who is um, in the background a lot, <clears throat> and even though he is in the background a lot, and he shows up in um, Ties That Bind, of course, and he shows up in Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, he's in the background of what might have been, but he hasn't been introduced. Um, he's in Hold My Coffee, uh, and um, these are um, these are uh, because he's in the background, moving around in the background of all these stories. In my head, whether you've seen him on screen or not, um, I find him very comforting. I find his presence very comforting, um, and it's just a it's just a writer's quirk that that I have when it comes to um, tertiary characters that may or may not have um, impact on um, a story. Um, an active impact on a story, all the, you know. So, um, 
And then, of course, we have Chase Harris, uh, who um, the Chase Harris and ties that bind in the Chase Harris and Sentinels of Atlantis. Chase Harris is also in um, um, Lantern Legacy. Uh, and um, what I would say is that um, what's interesting is that she said that she thought that Chase Harris in Ties That Bind and the Chase Harris and the Sentinels of Atlantis were very similar. Honestly, to me, they are night and day because the Chase Harris in Ties That Bind is submissive. He's flirty. He's sexy. He's um, he's fun-loving. He's he's open. He's very sexual. Um, he wants to have a good time, and he's not afraid to tell anybody that. Uh, and um, but he's strong, and um, he understands his duty. You know, and, and he's a good officer. The the Chase Harris and Sentinels of Atlantis is is wounded, and um, um, world weary. I'd say he's he's um, he, he's lost a lot. He feels guilty for not grieving the way people thought he should. Um, he desperately wants a connection with Matt Shepard that he doesn't know if it's going to happen or not. <laughs> and that kind of um, uncertainty um, marks his character and it marks how he moves in scenes and, and how he hesitates with Matt and how he hesitates with the rest of the Shepard family and how he... Um, he desperately wants to claim Matt as his guide, but he can't because Matt's not online. And so there's a frustration there. And um, so the, the Chase Harris in um, Sons of Atlantis is very different to me than the Chase Harris in Ties of Bind. Um, the Chase Harris that you briefly meet in Lantian Legacy um, is um, he's self-sacrificing and um, uh, deeply in love and um, he's he only went to Atlantis and Lantian Legacy for Evan. Um, he followed his, his heart across the universe, I guess you would say. And so he's, he's a romantic and he's um, and he's going to make the sacrifice play if he has to, because we watched him do it in the first part of Lantian Legacy. And so that Chase Harris is, uh, I think, probably closer to the Chase Harris that I write in Sentinels of Atlantis, who is more than capable of making the sacrifice play, um, who uh, would put duty before any personal consideration. Whereas I feel like the Chase Harris in Ties That Bind, if his personal want interfered with his career in the military, I could see him leaving Atlantis for a dom if he fell in love. Um, if Thomas Grant and him work out and there was love there and there was a collar there and Grant had to return to Earth... Um, Chase would go with him. I, I don't doubt it at all because um, the Chase Harris in, in, um, in Ties That Bind desperately wants that ownership. He he wants it. He wants to be, um, I messed up. That's not Thomas Grant. That's 
Ethan Marsh. See, I need to read my own shit. <laughs> Chase is with Ethan Marsh on Sentinels of Atlantis. <laughs> I don't know why I said Grant. I really don't. Chase wants that ownership. Um, he, he wants to be um, cared for and protected and, and sheltered personally. Um, not professionally, but personally. And so I do think he would follow a dom from, from, from Atlantis back to Earth. I totally believe that. Um, so they're not, um, while it is essentially the foundation of the same character, the motivations of Chase's character changes from, from series to series. And that's how you shape your character from one series to another. Um, keeping their foundation traits, um, appearance, flaws, likes, dislikes, um, <coughs> their more intimate goals, um, solid you keep those solid, and then as you move the character from one, I'm sorry, I'm to drink. If you move the character from one AU to another, from an alternate universe to another alternate universe, the way you change that character in that universe is to alter their external motivations. Um, but if you keep their internal motivations essentially the same. Not completely the same because there's going to be impact from external events on internal events. But if you keep them essentially the same, you're keeping the core of your character and it makes it easier to um, comfort zone when you're writing that particular character. And I think that actually holds true for um, all characters that you write, and um, especially in fandom, is that once you decide their core and you keep their core, you can shift and alter your character by how they respond to external motivations, whether it be um, other people or other people's actions, both of which are external motivations. Um, and these are um, these are the plot points that you move physically through your plot. I'm waving my hand around like you can see it. And by doing this, uh, you you keep your core of your character, um, but you can explore different aspects of your character. So I hope that makes sense. Um, so you know, <coughs> let's go back to Thaddeus in. Um, in Phoenix, his core is that you know that he holds his honor um, very important. He he loves his wife, and she's the only woman he's ever loved. Um, he has a magical marriage in Phoenix, and um, I describe that as uh, entering into marriage um, a virgin. So he's only ever had Piper as a lover. Um, he loved his child, his son, uh, and he named his son after James Potter. These are the facts that I know about Thaddeus going into any story. In Phoenix, um, Thaddeus is dealing with a lot of guilt for not overcoming the curse that kept him from seeking Harry out as soon as he possibly could during his first year. Um <coughs> he's having to combat his natural inclination to take the bracelet. He sees the Phoenix bracelet as an influence, and he doesn't know if it's a negative influence or a positive influence. And if he had his druthers, Harry wouldn't have it. 
He doesn't know what the phoenix is. And because of that, because of that fact alone, phoenix is a threat. But he also has to temper that natural inclination, urge Harry to give up the bracelet, to put the bracelet aside, with um, the knowledge that <coughs> if he were to do that, if he were to try to interfere with Harry's relationship with, with the bracelet, that it could have far-reaching um, ramifications for his own relationship with Harry. And building trust with Harry is essential. It is absolutely essential. So his his external motivations um, regarding the bracelet and Harry and Harry's position in the magical world and the prophecy and Voldemort, all these things um, are shaping the presentation of the character of Thaddeus. When it comes to <coughs> the Thaddeus and soulmate bond, um, <coughs> he's dealing with um, Harry's unwanted fame, um, Harry's position as um, the uh, chief, the the high warlock of their conclave, um, Harry's title, um, and Harry's soulmate, uh, who <coughs> who has a pretty unique threat profile of her own, and now and now he has to worry about her too. Um, the fact that his that his lord has a soulmate bond at all is um, a big threat because um, of the intimacy of the bond. Um, killing one would kill the other. Um, these are all external motivations that the Thaddeus and the soulmate bond is having to deal with that the Thaddeus and Phoenix is not yet having to deal with. Uh, and there are, <coughs> you know, he, the thing is, is the, the Thaddeus and the soulmate bond is, is <coughs> Harry's second vassal. Lucas um, Pierce is his senior vassal. He was the first to seek Harry out in France um, to take the role on as vassal. Uh, Thaddeus was in his life, but he had not um, he had not stepped forward with th- with that offer yet when Lucas Pierce did. In fact, you could say that Lucas Pierce was a catalyst for which. Thaddeus that that spurned Thaddeus to offer his his um, fealty to to Harry in, in that regard. Um, but it uh, and only after he stopped being Harry's teacher. That's another issue and um, that played around in the background of um, their relationship, where. Um, Thaddeus had a small amount of power over Harry as a teacher, and that would have um, made being Lord and Vassal a little difficult. Uh, And even more so when Harry became the leader of their conclave. These are all external um, motivations and issues that are kind of pressing down on Thaddeus that's in the soulmate bond. He's... um, he has a lot of tasks outside of his relationship with Harry, outside of the conclave, outside of his job at the bank, outside of um, various, you know, his 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 son, his wife. All these issues are slightly different in the soulmate bond because of Harry's position in the magical world. 
I also use Thaddeus Banner <coughs> in the unspeakable plot, and he's an unspeakable. He is not Harry's vassal in that, and one day eventually that might story might show back up online if I ever figure out what I'm going to do with it. Um, and the Thaddeus in um, Unspeakable Plot, he has no he has no children yet. His, uh, his wife is pregnant with their first. Um, it's still Piper. Uh, he works as an Unspeakable, and he has um, since basically uh, the first blood war. He went to school <coughs> with James Potter. Um, and <coughs> and he is one of the few unspeakables that Croker McGregor takes into his confidence when they turn back time and they're in the past. He is one of four five unspeakables that get brought into the team. Um, and Thaddeus is um, kind of laboring in the unspeakable plot because Harry and Thaddeus uh, basically occupied the same job because in the future, Harry was Croker's right hand. In the past, that's Thaddeus Banner. So Thaddeus is is grappling with the fact that um, there's a 13-year-old boy that basically has the same authority that he does, has the same reach the same um, uh, influence over Croker that he does. Of course, the kid really isn't 13. He's just in the 13-year-old body. There's, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance there. <laughs> and he has, he's, he's also grappling with the knowledge that he was murdered and that his wife and child died um, in a future that will no longer happen. And so, you know, <coughs> Thaddeus at his core remains the same, but yet again, his circumstances and his external motivations have changed. Because <coughs> now he's dealing with a different job. Um, he's dealing with knowledge from the future that in, in reality he should not have. He's dealing with um, the pressure of, of knowing that failing in their mission will mean the death of magic. These are all external motivations that are vastly different. Um, and all the unspeakables are under a great deal of stress as they move through these events, unspeakable plot. And while <coughs> it focuses mostly on Harry, they're all suffering and they're all dealing with knowledge that uh, that the actions of but a few people um, had the ability to destroy magic and to destroy their lives and to kill um, their loved ones. And um, so dealing with that, um, there's a different Thaddeus, but he's the same, essentially in his core. He still went to Hogwarts. He still married Piper Banner. He has a, a child on the way that he will name after James Potter. He, um, <coughs> his, his father was a vassal to the House of Potter. Um, the Thaddeus in Unspeakable the, the Thaddeus Plot will not make that vassal vow because he has vows to the Unspeakables that um, transcend that. 
because their duty to magic transcends all personal um, motivations that, that they might have explored otherwise. So these are um, – it's the exterior circumstances is what I'm getting at, basically, that, that changes how your character is perceived, whether it is a canon character or an original character. Uh, one of the worst things I see in fandom is the accusation of a Mary Sue. It's even more frustrating in Stargate um, to see that <laughs> because – but Sam Carter is totally a Mary Sue, and if they can write a Mary Sue, I don't know why I can't. I'm gonna get Lady Holder on the phone here. Hello, she's not there. I am. I am. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mute. <laughs> I was chewing dinner. I just, I wanted to make sure. I was sorry. <laughs> Okay, hold on. You guys are there. Hold on. Just talk about something. Okay. Okay. Um, Mary Susan and Mary and, and Sam Carter. Yeah, she was every geek out there other than Felger and what's his name because they were truly the, the geeks of the group. Um, Carrie uses a lot more original or um, original characters than I do. Um, lots more. I don't have as many as she does. And I realized that as I was listening to this, and the closest one I've actually got is um, somebody who shows up in so far just I think it's two that I've uh, two stories I've written, and that's it. And she's um, MS1 Cooper is what I put her as, and that was it. And it was it was really weird thinking about it and realizing that I don't. I don't do this as much um, and not through any particular lack, just realizing that I don't do the original characters the way she does, but that's speaking. Well, that's also because we're two different writers completely. Um, I'm back. I got overheated and it made me cough stupidly. So I had to um, turn my fan on for a little bit. Sorry um, about that guys. That's okay. But I was realizing I don't do the original characters the way you do. Hot flash. Power search. No, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just um, everybody does things slightly different, I guess, is how I'd put it. Uh, Other than. Well, let me ask you a question because. um, Sure. I know. I know. Somebody actually accused me of picking on you because you're not a plotter. I am not picking on her. Um, no. Just acknowledging that she's not a plotter is not picking. It's not picking on her. Um, no. And she does plot in her own way. She just doesn't plot in mine. Very true. But I would ask this: because you're sure. more pantser than plotter, do you think that has any impact on your um, OC creation? Um. I tend to use more of the actual canon characters than I do anything because it's, it's an ease and I, I don't have to go out and put together an actual person, um, which sounds remarkably uh, Terminator-like, but still. Um, but also because you are panting, 
mm-hmm. using an um, um, using an original character would re- would require for you to stop, create, and think out. about it. Yep, who they are. But when when you don't have to stop and you can just slot a a fandom character right into it mm-hmm. and keep plugging along. Yeah, if I can use a uh, fandom character. <laughs> That's an, that's a, a very easy thing for me to grab and just go. I don't have to um, I don't have to create them. As far as creating an original character, I've got a couple. I use them. Um, right now, the the one that I was thinking of and the one I mentioned earlier was um, somebody who uh, showed up in my. Everybody transforms into wolves and, and cats story. Um, and then I think I grabbed her for another story. Uh, and that would have been um, MS1 Cooper. And I think I put her in something else, actually. Um, because I needed somebody who dealt with all the supply situation on Atlantis. And having been in the service, that's what those people did. That that particular um, uh, designation, the, the, the mess specialist. I don't have to think about them. I know that person. Uh, so for me, she's not so much an original character as a distillation of a couple people I knew. You know, um, there's no specific one trait that I can point to and say, hey, this is this person. But it was a way of, I had a hole, I needed it filled, therefore here's the character. I guess that's what you do. It was easy. I do do that, and I do that in the plotting stage. So a lot of times I'll be like, okay, do I want to reshape a fandom character to to do this, or do I want to create an OC? Um, And there came two points when I was plotting Ties That Bind that I had this issue. Um, Once Mm -hmm. was with Rodney's ex-partner. And once was with uh, Summers on mm-hmm. Atlantis. And um, I knew that both characters were going to be a problem. And I already knew that the Dom from um, the Sod would be an OC, um, the one that's causing the problems okay. on Earth. I knew he would be an OC. And so I was like, okay, so <coughs> it has more power for the reader if. Rodney's ex-partner, his abusive partner, um, is a canon character. Right. And so I looked through the canon characters that I had, and I thought, okay, Jennifer Keller can't pull that off. Slash, no, no, not happening. No, <laughs> no can't do that. Um, I briefly, don't hate me, I really, really briefly considered um, – um, I also really, 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 so tinily briefly, it, it barely even counts, considered O'Neill. Hey, no. That one would have gotten <laughs> my back up right away. <laughs> I did. I, I did consider it. I mean, um, because the fact of the matter is, is that Sam Carter um, is pretty much the golden girl of, of the SGC. So, um, twisting her around... 
um, and making her essentially the first bad guy that the reader comes across and ties it behind was a difficult choice to make. And I'm not a Sam Carter basher by nature. I mean, you, you see in my other works, I don't treat mm-hmm. her that way. Um, sometimes yeah. I kind of tag her on her arrogance, but that's something that I saw in canon that really bothered me, um, that she got to be arrogant, but nobody else did. Really? True. Because she would call out anybody who got um, arrogant about it, but she was allowed to do mm-hmm. it. I mean, she she would be she would have no problems knocking um, Daniel down a peg or two or McKay or anybody except for O'Neill. She didn't try to knock him down, but anybody else was pretty much fair game to Carter. Um, you're you're kidding, she right? Never she called O'Neill on his shit. Oh no, she called him. Yeah, on, but no, but she, she called O'Neill on his. She didn't send his ass to Siberia. That's what I'm getting at. No. No, but she did get him the... Where was vicious to other characters, but she was never vicious to mm-hmm. O'Neill because she wanted to ride that dick. Okay, yeah, I will admit she did want to give that dick a ride. No no doubt about it. <laughs> I blame the woman. <laughs> but um, there, there was very definitely a couple times where she gave O'Neill very respectful, very, you're a moron looks and and her tone of voice she managed to get away with it because um she kept it within the bonds of superior uh, um um she kept it within the bonds of of, of their ranks but she did call but him she on his ship other people no it is oh, no, the she same didn't, she didn't because she was out oh, no, no. to other people and that's what i'm getting at um, and she never had to pay for it. Um, and so sometimes True. I kind of poke at her, but I'm not a quarter basher by nature. Um, so picking her for ties that bind as the first, um, the first wave, so to speak, of um, problems for John and Rodney um, was difficult. And I did have, I you know, I knew it had to be canon character. It, it had to be somebody um, that was very familiar to the reader. Otherwise, it wouldn't have the same kind of impact. And so when you're making choices, um, moving through a story, whether you're doing, whether you're pantsing or whether you're plotting, um, when, you're, mm-hmm. when you're using fandom characters, it's important to keep in mind how they will impact the reader. And <coughs> if you'll be able to stand the pressure of... Uh, Taking a can a, hey, that's a, a my favorite character. character. Why did you? Like, yeah, that exactly. was my favorite character. Why exactly. are you mean Why to them? Why did you do that? Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's apparently a whole subsection of NCIS fans who hate it when when McGee gets what he deserves. Oh no, God no! I think that little shithead gets everything he deserves, and then some in some cases. You know, in other yeah, cases, but there are some he doesn't. Serious lovers out there, people who are all about me, who get really upset when you bring up um, dead air. The shit that he pulls? <laughs> so anyways, yeah, so you do have to, um, you have to acknowledge that you're, if, if you're going to tear apart a character that, mm-hmm. you're, that your readers really enjoy, um, and normally you write a certain way, you need to be able to um, stand in a place that you feel is defensible. And so that you aren't pressured by their disapproval. Um, mm-hmm. I did get some hits about the Carter thing. Uh, you know, the, 
<laughs> One reader even called me a misogynist, which is exactly why some Summers on was a woman too. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> because originally Summers was a guy, but I got so pissed off about that person calling me a misogynist because I made Carter a bad guy that I immediately went into my plot and plotted Summers as a woman. I plotted her as a woman. And I was like, fuck you. That was spike right there. That was pure spike. Oh, and I don't care. If I hadn't already introduced I, that asshole on Earth, it'd have been a woman too. Full on. Yeah. <laughs> so, because you know what? It's not misogynistic um, to make a woman a bad guy hmm. or to give a woman um, terrible traits because we all have terrible traits. Nobody is perfect. And acknowledging that a woman is capable of evil, fucking shit. <laughs> hey, y'all. Um, I get that joke now. Um, <laughs> oh, I cried. Oh, we can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. To be spoilers. Okay. Um, um, it. I, I got distracted. Well, I'm, oh, what I'm saying I'm is sorry. that um, shaping a female character into a bad guy is not misogyny. And if you think no. it is, you're a dumbass. Women are. Look, there there are just as many women killers out there. I already know you're dumb. <laughs> They're dumb, therefore they don't know. Look, there there are just as many women out there who, you know, will will kill somebody for you know gain, as you know there are men. It's just women get more sympathy, and in this case, making you know somebody an unapologetic asshole um, works out. The only reason my original character is female is because I actually grabbed a quarter and flipped. You know, that's actually how that particular character got their sex. Male, female, heads, tails. Quick, easy peasy. You I know, know that reminds um, me of the house elf thing. Um, I have a reader, had a reader, I'm not sure if they're actually still reading my work, who got really, really upset with me that the boy elf in Birth of the Serpent King, Harry thought the baby was ugly. But the female elf in Soulmate Bond, he thought was cute. Well, here's a clue. That was about Harry's perspective, not about the actual baby. The little elf baby in Birth of the Serpent King doesn't look all that much different than the baby in Soulmate Bond. They're just different sexes. But the difference is Harry. The Harry in Soulmate Bond is older and more mature, and he sees beauty in that baby and if you would notice the interaction that Hermione had with that baby in Birth of the Serpent King, you would have noticed that she saw beauty in that little elf baby. But Harry in Birth of the Serpent King is a 15-year-old boy. He thinks all babies are ugly. <laughs> if they had put a human baby in his hands, he'd have been like, oh, God, this is ugly. He thinks all babies are ugly. It's it's not a um, – it was a characterization thing for Harry. There's no – Relation to the actual elf baby. It was ridiculous. This person lost their shit and told me I hated men. And <clears throat> So I've been accused of misogyny and misandry, and I don't even think misandry exists. <coughs> well, I'm pretty sure misandry exists. You know, I'm I know. just also pretty sure that you, you're not, a, you're not a, a practicer of it. 
so, you know, whatever. But, you know, um, I think, the thing is, is misandry is just a response to misogyny. That's all it is. Because yeah, if you say, don't be a pussy to a man, that's actually misogyny. It's not misandry. It's misogyny because you're inferring that if a man is a pussy and that he's female, then something's terribly wrong, which is misogyny, not misandry. So practically any instance of misandry that you can point out has its root in misogyny. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have a soapbox. By the way, I got um, on it. Sorry. Yes, apparently. <laughs> don't worry about it. I'm used to it. Uh, what I was actually going to say is, and and it kind of goes back to my rolling of the dice routine, um, or rolling or flipping the coins. You know the the um, character sheets for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, something like that. Maybe if you're, if you're absolutely. Well, I never did either, but you know you can find character sheets on um, online uh, for you know putting together a, a character in um, in that universe, or you know, frankly, in any universe. You know, uh, well, there's a lot. There's also lots of character sheets that are actually designed for writers for writing. Um, but what I have found in, in using those that I don't like mm-hmm. all the parts. So eventually what I did was is I took a whole bunch of them and combined them together and made my own. And I think that's the best thing you can do for yourself because you alone know what you need to know about your character um, and mm-hmm. what you don't need to know. Um, so sometimes, you know, if, if it's a character, you know, sometimes you don't need a character profile. You don't need a character okay. profile on the guy driving the car, a cab. You don't need a character profile on the bartender or on the waitress. Or, um, <coughs> these are not profiles that you need. You need character profiles and main characters um, and fandom original characters that are going to have impact on your plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a character that's only mentioned in passing or is only in one scene in passing, you don't need a full character profile for that shit. Well, I'm not really? going to suggest that you, you do. What I'm, what I'm more thinking yeah. is, um, you know, if, it, if it's more comfortable and, it's, and it's, it makes sense to you, you know, get one of those character sheets or get several of those character sheets. Um, if, you, if you feel like, you know, hey, you know, I don't know how to do this, go grab a D20 dice. Roll for characterization if you really have to, you know, if it makes you feel that more comfortable to do it. I'll admit, I grab a, I grab a quarter some days, and you know, do I want this? Do I want that? Um, just because some days I can't make up my mind, and mine will use you know random chance. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes I look at it and go, "There's no way in God's green earth," and I ignore what random chance gives me and go with what I want. You know, it. <laughs> so sometimes a quarter is not the decider. No, sometimes a quarter is not the decider because, you know, two-inch dicks don't work some days. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know. You know it all, original characters are who you want them to be, okay? Um, they, are, they are your choice and your, your gift to your particular universe, okay? Because that's what they are. You know, um, 
I can't think of the Stargate universe without um, Matthew Shepard in it anymore. Okay. And that is solely because I've got how many years now of reading your stuff? And, and Matthew has been a major part of your universe for since you started it. Nine years. I think. Nine years. Nine. So coming to me, up on. he is yeah, to me he is one of what amounts to, yes, admittedly a headcanon character, but he is a, a character that is there forevermore, if you will. And you know, I can't I can't see that universe without it anymore. Yeah, I had to replot book two. <laughs> Not yeah, I remember legacy because Matt wasn't in it. And when I first sent it, and it, you know, you have to keep in mind that um, I plot a whole bunch of different works at the same time. So parts of Lantean legacy have existed as long as what might have been has, um, and uh, or maybe even longer when you want to look at certain parts, uh, even though they are kind of a mirror universe of each other. Um, you, you write here, you write there, you write here. You get on something and you write for a long time there, mm-hmm. and then you have this other thing over here. Um, but Matt wasn't in Lantian Legacy. In fact, don't hate me, but in the original draft, Matt died with their mother. Uh, but yeah, that actually, if I remember. Matt was who Matt was. Um, yeah, because Matt wasn't – I had um, – Matt <laughs> – I think we're all part of that, that Matt had just shown up in what might have been. So he wasn't what I would mm-hmm. consider a reader favorite. <laughs> My readers oh. weren't invested in him. But um, now, if I had actually put out um, book two with Matt having died in the car accident with his mom um, in the womb, um, I would have probably got hate mail. <laughs> Lynn, yeah, that that would that would have been a bad day. Oh my God! Day. How dare you, Carol? How dare you? Oh my God! You do that. So I had to replot. So I had to replot, oh. and um, um, and uh, <coughs> rewrite a host of scenes. Oh Jesus! Yeah, that was that was interesting. Remembering that, um, I actually, I don't remember even, uh. Now, now here's where I'm going to probably tease people. Um, I had read relatively recently, because I was rereading basically everything I've ever gotten from you, something that you gave me that was a, um, hey, does this work? And I think I commented that it did, but it was really early in when you and I were, were working together and there was no Matt because it was a Stargate Atlantis. And I think it was one where Matt actually died. And I don't remember if it was um, the second, the original uh, second ver- um, Lantean legacy that I have access to or not. It has to be that book because that's the only one where I've ever done that. Um, because was, after that, it was very uh, bizarre. Killing Matt would have caused a reader revolt. So yeah, it was no. um, not worth doing. No. Honestly, so I think I would get away killing David Shepard before I would Matt, and that is so funny because <laughs> David is canon. I know, I know. Not that I would. <laughs> <laughs> but, <clears throat> 
I wouldn't. Oh, yeah. That, that, right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's practically everybody died in the first time while I was in a row. <laughs> uh-huh. that, that, that's a little different. Even, you know, Evan died, um, Miko died, Raddick died, or would have died. Um, Rodney was dying and certainly would have. In fact, John and Rodney killed themselves in the, in the, in the opening volley of Interim. So practically everybody dies in Interim and only to be reborn, um, basically, essentially, sort of. Yes. It's because it's an alternate it's universe. A side, it's a sidestep. So it's it's not the same as um, saying me killing David on screen or, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> thanks Willow. Yeah, 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 he got better. Yeah, yeah he was mostly dead. Um, yeah, in a very safe place. I actually, yeah. bless their heart, bless their heart. I actually had a reader email me and ask me where Rodney hid it. Where Rodney <laughs> hid the interim. Because they didn't get the, the inference. So I had to explain to him that he smoked out of out of the SGC in his ass. Because they didn't get it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very safe spot. Oh my. Yeah. No. It's a very untoward place. But no, yeah. I bust their hearts. Yeah, I was. I yes. giggled when I got that email. I know, right? <laughs> but I think it might have been more of a language barrier issue than an actual innocence issue, because um, sometimes. Um, I've noticed uh, when it comes to um, that sometimes the translation uh, for subtle ideas isn't exact, and so sometimes the wording will be changed just enough in a sentence that all of the subtle innu- you know, innuendo is taken completely out of it. Um, and I don't know what language they were reading oh. it in, but I think that's probably what happened, that, that, that their translation program um, translated it in such a way that it, the, all the inference was gone. That's kind. Of, that's kind of sad, but yeah. yeah, it happens. Yeah, it is sad because I do a lot of funny ass shit in my stuff, and people who are <laughs> <coughs> translating it into another language aren't getting the funny ass shit that I say, and it's really upsetting. Well, <coughs> there. <laughs> There's a lot of, of what really gets me is, is how much um, stuff does carry over. But I think that's one of the reasons why, weirdly, we have that whole um, semi-canon, I guess, um, thing with with Star um, Stargate, where they have that translator program built into the Stargate, because there's no way everybody spoke English. <laughs> Nothing else makes sense. But I, know. I, you know, I pretty much 
adopted that from the idea of the Universal Translator from Star Trek, and they also did one mm-hmm. in Farscape. Um, but the fact that Stargate never explained it is really annoying, and they had a built-in explanation that they could have done. I mean, it would have been like, okay, the Stargate mm-hmm. does it. Duh, done, move on. But they never say a damn word about it. Nope. <laughs> but in reality, in the TV show, they can't. Because in the movie, mm-hmm, they, try. they made a big deal about the fact that only Daniel could talk to the native population. And only after he mm-hmm. figured out their dialect. Yep. And it worked And there, so it but, really, you know. it would not have worked long term on the show. Yeah. But they could explain that pretty easily, too. When um, it comes up, because you know Jack would be like, okay, hey, dude, why is this working now, but it didn't work on Abydos? Mm-hmm. And now why is it working on Abydos? And then um, Carter could have said, Because they've gone well, through it more than once. Raw, raw messed with the gate on Abydos to prevent it, but we've been through several gates, and now we have the uh, Universal Translator, and so when we mm-hmm. go to Abydos, it's okay. All he had, to, all all they would have had to say was that Raw removed the Universal Translator um, option from the, the Stargate on Abydos to further isolate the, the people there, which which would have made total sense, mm-hmm. right? I'm just saying, yep. Stargate writers, it would have been easy to give us a fucking explanation. Well, lazy bastard. You know, here's a. Well, you know, going back to, to that on the complete aside, Peter, there was no DHT. Yeah. Yes, there was. There was no D. No, there wasn't. Yes, there was. There was no DHT. I don't remember a DHD on that one. You need to go watch the fucking movie, sweetheart. <laughs> it's in the movie and in the pilot of SG1. Now, it's in the pilot. Earth I don't remember it in the Had a DHD. But Abydos did, didn't Earth didn't have one, but Abydos no. did, because Daniel dials the gate. How the fuck do they get back to yeah. Earth? Hand dial the sucker where where they're spinning the inner wheel. No, no. Yes. No. <laughs> no. There's a someone go get the damn picture of the DHC <laughs> from the movie and show it to the children. <laughs> and just, <laughs> for the record, we are not arguing. <laughs> no, this is just how we talk. We've been best friends for eight years. This is normal. what we do. This is just us doing us. Oh God, it's really funny that everybody, when we get on a on a thing, everybody thinks we're arguing. Mm. We're not. We're being good, mostly. <laughs> Hmm. Let's see. Oh God! They're at. Wait. You know what? I'm gonna say this on my podcast. You were right. They never actually showed the DHD in the movie. They don't show the damn DHD in the movie. What the fuck? What the fuck? How is that? How is that? Remi- 
<clears throat> I think, given that, Ra had the DHD on his ship, okay, and he had removed the one uh, from Abydos proper. And but the translator, the, um, How the translator, the power. It's you can still dial a, D, uh, a gate without a DHD. It's just a bitch and a half to get them when dialed back out. When they dialed manually in 1969, yep. they had to have an outside power source. Um, that's because the one that they dialed in 1969 hadn't been powered in umpteen thousands of years. Rob then back to when the they dialed probably within the last on time. the Ernest planet, she had to put a damn. Um, Generator on it to dial it, and they had just dialed sure in. Okay, add that one to the next, one to the next batch. Of the damn power source for the Stargate is in the DHD. Okay, well, I hate that to the list of things. That I hate. Let's not even discuss the books because the books. Oh my God, the books. Those things are depressing. <laughs> this is the reason why I'm not actually going to go watch the movie so that they're doing. between movie, the books, and the shows that you need to pick one and ignore the rest. You really do. Hard. Because it will drive you fucking bonkers. I can't believe there's a lot of DHG in the movie. I haven't watched it in forever. It's like, I get pissed off. I'm going to agree <laughs> that the DHG's been buried in sand because it makes no damn sense. Okay. Although I can live with that. But see, the thing is, is that if the gate has power, removing the DHD is not a good security measure for Ra to keep his people on that planet because they can still dial it manually. Yes, but they can't read, so they don't know what what address they need to dial. Remember? That's not actually true because they can't read. She does read. She shows him. They have an underground literacy gang going on. No, she doesn't. She doesn't know how to read. She shows him she all the drawings just... they have on the wall. But more importantly, she there's found... that whole big map in there with the symbols. And even if you can't read, okay, here's the symbols on the wall and here's the symbols on the gate. Even if you don't know what they mean. And you know that the gate lights up when Raw comes through. They're not Mm -hmm. dumbasses. No. No. Just because you can't read does not mean that you're an uh, Right. They could have figured out the map and the gate. So just removing the mm -hmm. DHD would not be enough if the gate was already powered outside of the DHD. That would not have kept them on the planet. So it makes sense okay. that the power source was in the THD. But again, it doesn't fucking explain how Daniel dials out. I hate this. I don't I know. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, there's a big giant plot hole in the movie, and I won't be able to watch it ever again. I remember that scene now where she's showing him the pictures, but she can't read them, and Daniel told I remember that now, Desert. I, I do. He he mentions, but he mentions something. Anyway, he, he, so it he says... He says a word, and she corrects him on the local word. He he uses the what is thought to be the correct word 
um, by Egyptologists, and lo and behold, um, he gives or she she looks at him and um, gives him the correct word using the local dialect. Well, it makes sense that, that their language would have changed because language is alive, you know. Um, yes. If we encountered someone speaking the- English we'd be like, what the fuck are you saying? I'm sure some variation of yeah. it is. Variation, yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, um, Daniel is looking at something and he thinks he uses the word midget and she looks at him and she gives him the, the fuck over and he points at something and she goes, Matoru. And yes, I've watched this movie too many times. Apparently so. I, don't, I can't believe there's no fucking DHD. That really messes with me. <laughs> <clears throat> and also, if the if the gate could be dialed manually without the DHD or, or a power source, then why the fuck were they still on that planet? They could have left. They could have gone anywhere. They had that whole map. I'd have been there every know. day trying symbols out until I got one to work. Like, bitches, I got it open. Let's go. <laughs> what? There's no, nothing saying that somebody didn't. Okay. The problem they had is, remember, the gate in question was buried. Okay. So, you know, they they could have tried. They could have done their best to come home. And well, you they didn't have to go squished. Well, no, because um, if the gate's buried, then there won't But they didn't have to dial Earth. They had a whole big map of thousands of addresses. Yeah, I know. That one kind of blows that particular theory right out of the water. But. And also, the gate hadn't been buried for, what, 70, 80 years when the movies happened? It had been unearthed in the yep. 20s. Yeah, I'm just saying. Well, this is what happens when um, you have a writer watching a movie. That (laughs) I like filling plot holes. Me and the man were watching the um, the trailer for Star for Star Trek Destiny. Mm-hmm. And I can't figure out why we have a female captain when we've had um, captain also um, cast. Mm-hmm. And so I was laying out how I thought it was going to go down when the main character is that commander. Um, and the female captain is telling her that she's ready for command. And so the, the commander is going out into the, to, to explore something. I think she's going to find mm-hmm. something that's going to fuck her up. It's going to get her captain killed. And she's going to have this immense crisis of um, competence. And they're going to put this man in the captain's chair to mentor her and take care of her until she feels better about her life choices. That's horrifically horrible. And incredibly likely. So I, so, so I told my husband this, and he was like, um, well, now I don't want to watch it. <laughs> I said, I could be wrong. <laughs> no, Daniel's grandfather left the planet via crystal skull. 
was activated by Catherine and her boyfriend, Ernest, and he ended up on another planet who, by himself. Who apparently had some who, Ernest, who had a, a slight problem with nudity, as in he embraced it. Well, um, he only had the clothes he took with him, so I guess he just was like, fuck it. <laughs> it's just me. True. And <laughs> he only had you know, that water underwater suit. Oh, yeah. By the way, do you did anybody catch who played Ernest in that particular episode? No. I don't remember. You should have. We know him as Beckett. I know. Yes, Carson. The actor who played Carson. It's like the original one, the young version? Played the younger version of, of Ernest, yes. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. But he was in the suit, so I don't really remember him at all, just being in the suit. There's a, there's a scene where, where Catherine and, and, and Ernest are, are you know all lovey-dovey together and stuff, and then the, I think the next scene is basically him getting in the suit and going through the, the, the standing water routine. I'm going to go on record to say if I had to choose between traveling via Crystal Skull and traveling via Stargate, I think I'd pick the Crystal Skull. It seemed to be much less traumatizing, even with the giant aliens. <laughs> Just saying. The the whole, you know, ripping your molecules apart and putting them back together again, you know, in some ways I think Bones has got it right. It's not exactly my thing. But I don't know if I'd want, I mean, it's just so incredibly cliched to go with the giant skull, or the the crystal skull routine. Uh, I think I might trust ancient tech. I'm just saying that that the crystal skull seemed like a smooth ride. He didn't even know he'd been anywhere. He didn't even realize he'd left Earth. I'm just saying. Six to one half dozen to the other. But maybe the question is, is did he actually leave Earth, or did the giant aliens show up on Earth? That's a good question. Uh, Don't know if I want the answer. Um, But also, there begs the question of if Daniel could walk through walls, why didn't he sink through the floor? Mind over matter? I don't think so. Bad writing? Well, you know, if if it had been the way, you know, logic dictates it to be, he'd have fallen through the floor and gone straight through the planet. <laughs> it's the truth. <coughs> but that implies um, maybe it's a matter of gravity because he's not in um, – He's not physically there, so he's not being impacted by gravity. But if that's the case, then how is he not floating? I don't know. <laughs> These are the things that keep me up at night. I'm just kidding, and they don't. I don't care. I don't give a shit. It's just funny shit. But honestly, the Stargate writers could have um, done a little bit of a better job on the Universal Translator. <coughs> uh. <coughs> Oh, that tart. Oh, Azure, you, you terrible, terrible person. Oh, 
she is the best on Everwing. Yes! I'm not really mad. For those of you... I actually kind of like to have something, somebody to play against, to work against um, in that game, because that's really the only challenge you get in that game. Um, um, otherwise, it's kind of monotonous, and we, we wouldn't be any fun. But still, you're a tart. <clears throat> but you know, well, going back to the the original question with the, with the characters and um, mm-hmm. um, and also it, I I think it bears repeating um, and and this has to do with consistency um, and then knowing your character and knowing what you can change and what you can't change mm-hmm. to keep the core of your character whether it's original or fandom is super important. I mean, it really is because if you change too much, um, you're essentially creating another character. And then you look at characters that really have no canon characterizations. Um, Miko, um, David Shepard, is is really a blank slate. Um, These are characters that you see in the background or they're mentioned that really don't have a lot of material to work with. And so they essentially become in some ways, original characters. But it's important, like, I, when I move Miko around in different universes, I try to keep her core. Um, and for me, she's kind of, you know, she, she's really smart. She's sarcastic. Um, she's feminine um, mm-hmm. and kind of a ball buster uh, in, in, um, in her own little way. Um, and even, uh, especially in Ties That Bind, one of, one of my favorite... <laughs> Lines and ties that bind is um, when the bomb um, goes off, and um, was mm-hmm. it the bomb or is it the? I forget which. It, there's an emergency on Atlantis. Uh, I haven't read it in a while. Mm-hmm. And um, Rodney calls me go over the over the radio, and she's already in full mode. She's like, "I'm go down there and be in charge." <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. just like everything else has been set aside. Her dynamic. Um, her um, her little girly power game she's playing with Carson. It's all been set aside. She's in charge. I'll go down there and be the boss. And she goes down to the control room and she's the boss. And so <coughs> that's the kind of thing that um, that I try to keep in my characters when I move them around in different AQs, Point of order. whether they are fandom characters or originals. Hang on just a moment. I actually need to um, sign off because I have a telephone call I have to take. Okay. Okay. Sorry. My spouse is, is um, in Tucson at the moment, and I'd like to give him a call because he's calling. Okay. 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 But, Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe they did, but isn't okay? Desert says in the chat room that they're checking up with the DHD, so maybe the movie Stargates had an internal power source. It really bothers me that the movie that the movie um, Stargates didn't have a, a, a dialing device. That's so antiquated, isn't it? It just seems so out of place. Or it just seems so unnat- weird. That seems very weird. Unless Raw had the dialing device on his person. 
Uh, he had a handheld dialing device. So I can't see him just, you know, willy-nilly. Well, he'd make his servants do it. <laughs> it seems so weird. But I guess it's just because we've, we've, um, we've um, watched so much of the shows that, uh, that it invades. It's the the image the imagery is very pervasive, but it really bothers me that there isn't a DHG in the movie. There 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 really fucking should be one. I'm just saying. There really should be one. So super annoying. Don't read the books if you um want to preserve your your your, your innocence because um. The books are depressing as fuck. My husband has them on um, audiobook, um, and just listening to them is depressing. It just depresses the hell out of me. I, I really don't recommend it. Not the Stargate um, SG-1 or Atlantis books, but the actual original Stargate books. They are super depressing. Super depressing. The Stargate itself is a giant superconductor, <coughs> but I'm not sure how much that has to do with the actual power that goes into creating the wormhole. I don't know. But the, but the original Stargate books are really super, super depressing and political, and there's slavery, and there's terrible work conditions, and Earth is a bastard, and obviously, um, and everybody's a Republican. I mean, it just I don't recommend it at all. Unless you, unless you like that kind of thing, then it will be right up your alley. Certainly. Um, but um, <coughs> my cough is probably going to get a little bit worse. I'm watch you guys go in a few minutes. But uh, I hope that I have answered um, um, Rathisa's question. I hope I'm saying your your name even sort of right. Um, in that um, that no matter how you come to your character, whether abandoned character or an original character, um, that keeping the core is the most important part. And um, for the record, I'm not going to rewatch the movie. And you don't need to email me. I have accepted that there's an IDHC in the movie, but there totally should be. I'm just saying it doesn't make any sense. And why didn't they leave? They had that map. This is what happens when movies and TV shows don't have a, a canon that's central. So don't do that to your readers. Keep your canon central. Even if it's just your personal canon, keep your personal canon central so you don't have readers like me going, what the fuck? Oh, my God. <laughs> why isn't there a DHD? They had a map. Why didn't they leave? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> anyways, anyways, um, if you have any questions regarding um, tonight's content or any other content you'd like me to discuss as far as um, 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 my take on writing, um, feel free to go to the Ask Me Anything page, which you'll find in the drop-down menu on my site, and let me know. Um I don't know everything there is to know about writing, but I can tell you how I do it, and that's been good enough. So you guys have a great evening, and I'll catch you later. Shut up and sit down.